Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to stay up here. Uh, the office can be dismissed. You can go to your class uh, if you know, or I guess you would know where that is. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, continuing in our study in the book of Acts. Uh, I believe it's on page 1082 of the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, that Pew Bible is our gift to you. So feel free to take that with you. Uh, if you are able, uh, would you sp stand with us for the reading of the Word of God? Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And again, we pray, Father, we thank you for this word. We, God, we thank you that you have entrusted this word to us that has shaped who we are as a church, that these are our values uh, as a church, that they come from this passage. And so would you even more help us to be the church that you've particularly called us as Cornerstone Church here in Royalton, Vermont to be, for your glory, for our joy, that our neighbors, our friends, those who we're acquainted with might come to know you because of our faithfulness to what you lead us in your word to do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So as we look at this passage, and we consider this passage, I have a question for you. And it's a question related to what are kids unashamed of doing? Asking questions, right? They have no shame in asking questions. Think about this theoretical day. Maybe you've experienced a day like this. Uh, you need to get up. Why? It's time to brush your teeth. Why? You have morning breath. Why? No, you can't drink my coffee. Why? It'll make you hyper. Why? You can't have it. Why? Never mind. We're going to move on. Go to the bathroom before we leave. Why? Driving around. Why is the building red? It's brick. Why? Get home. Go take a bath. Why? You smell. Why? You, you, eventually, parents, right? You just give up. But sometimes, folks, in the church, we ask questions, right? Maybe you have. Why do we gather on a Sunday? Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper here at Cornerstone only once a month, not every week? Why do we do three songs, then a pastoral prayer, then the scripture reading, then a sermon, then some more songs, and then a doxology and the benediction? Why are we studying the book of Acts right now? Why do we do a men's group, ladies group, small group? It's not because they rhyme. This early church is young. They've only been in existence after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus for a short amount of time. It's a matter of weeks. They didn't ask questions why. 
But I think it's okay that we do ask questions. So why? Why did they do what they did? Why does it matter for us today in 2023 in Royalton, Vermont? To help us, we must consider how this fits into the overall book of Acts. We're really early on in chapter 2. And last week we saw that Peter called them to believe the gospel, to repent. And as a response to the repentance, that which is internal in them, that came outside of them. And they were baptized. And this week they model their practice as a church. I made an outline, as Eric mentioned, in the back of the bulletin. Our Nets brothers encouraged me to do that to help us to follow along in how we are uh, seeing this chapter and this scripture passage unfold. And this week, as you follow along in the bulletin, we'll see that God's people, they have a common devotion. They have a common unity and they have a common dependence. This passage describes what this early church did. So what should we emulate today? I'm glad you asked. Look again at the common devotion, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. If you're familiar with this passage, I mention it all the time. These are our values as a church. And so I might get a little passionate about what you see this morning. And although Luke interviewed people, imagine Luke gazing through a window, observing what is taking place in this church. He's writing down his observations, like looking through those windows right there. And he records their common devotion. What would our devotions, if someone observed through that window, what would our devotions be written down as? A big music team is great. Preaching of the word is awesome. The word this morning, they wouldn't see us take the Lord's Supper, though. They wouldn't see us have baptisms, I don't think. They wouldn't see us eat a meal together. They probably saw a lot of fellowship as we gathered early on. They'll see some fellowship afterwards. What would people say our devotion is? Last time we saw Peter, he called them to repent and be baptized. You see that in verse 38, if you look up in your passage. They then received the word and they were baptized, about 3,000 of them in verse 41. And the next sequence of events is this devotion that they have. This doesn't appear to be days later, but immediately they give themselves to these four things. As a response to their baptism, as a response to their belief, they then devote themselves to four things. And to be devoted is to be continually attached to something, or associated with something, or busily engaged in something. One thing we learned as we moved to Vermont is that Vermonters are devoted to maple syrup, not high fructose corn syrup that a lot of Californians eat. And there's a good reason why, right? The other stuff is gross. Our family has been radically transformed. And we only like Vermont maple syrup that is preferably boiled over dried wood. This church in the text has been radically, tra excuse me, transformed. 
You'd probably see that transformation if I ever gave up wearing my sandals during the summertime. And I was a little devoted my first winter here, and I really wanted to make it to Thanksgiving wearing my sandals. But at the moment, I couldn't feel my toes anymore. I gave up that devotion. My devotion changed. But this church is tenaciously devoted. They're committed, and nothing was going to get in the way of those commitments. And the devotion was fourfold. It was the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. That definite article of the is very important. It wasn't just any old random fellowship. It wasn't just any old random teaching. It was intentional, precise, not general practices. So let's look first. The apostles' teaching. Around here, we use the word biblical authority. And it's first because it's the priority. The teaching would consist of rehashing what Jesus taught them and called them to do in order that they might live a certain way. The church wanted to follow the words of Jesus. And it's explaining the Christian doctrine as a basis for the Christian life and how the Christian is to practice. The Bible is the first devotion. You might be asking the question, why? Well, we saw in our catechism, it wasn't in my, or I wasn't aware that this was in the catechism until I arrived this morning, but it's profitable, the Bible, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We see that again in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. So devoted to the apostles' teaching, it protects the church's doctrine. It also protects the church's practice of how they go about living their lives. And even in that day, like it is in our day, there are so many different types of doctrine competing for our attention. But this church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Second, they were devoted to the fellowship. We call this around here intentional fellowship. And this word signifies a close, a mutual interest and relationship like a family. My kids and Kristen, we all share the same last name. We share a home. We share food, sometimes better than others. We share some hobbies. We share a love for disappointing sports teams. Kristen and I share a bank account. What's mine is hers. What hers is mine. We have a shared interest together as a family. We, for the most part, have shared good towards one another in our family. This church was acting like a family, as an alternative society, not of individuals, but communal, living for one another. Their new identity kept them together and they enjoyed one another. Once they were strangers, now they are a family from different walks of life, regardless of gender, social status, wealth, or poverty. They were one body. And God called a people to himself so that they were devoted to one another as much as they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
Ephesians 4, 4 to 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in through all and in all. This is the devotion that they had to one another. Third, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. We like to use the term gospel centrality around here at Cornerstone. And this wasn't just eating meals together. The definite article of the is significant again. Remember, Luke is writing this two-volume anthology of Luke and Acts in two volumes into one book of writing. And as he was commissioned by that guy, Theophilus, just three chapters prior, Jesus gave them instruction in Luke's gospel about celebrating the Lord's Supper. The phrase, the breaking of the bread, is the time when the body of believers remember the gospel. And Jesus' body given for us and his blood shed for us on the cross. Acts 2 includes the charge. Remember we saw that. Repent, believe, and be baptized. And then they devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, and the celebrating of the Lord's Supper. And just like baptism, the Lord's Supper is closely connected to belief and participation in the body of Christ. The church is called to do this in remembrance of Him by the Lord Himself. And so consistently they do so. So first, the apostles' teaching. Second, the fellowship. Third, the breaking of prayers. And fourth, we see, I'm sorry, the breaking of bread, not the breaking of prayers. Breaking of bread. And fourth, we see the prayers. We say the dependent prayer around here. They're specific prayers. And their utter helplessness, apart from the work of God, they're formally are talking to God and responding to what they hear in the word and just speaking to their father. Talking to God and depending on him and the promises of his word are valuable to this young church in the book of Acts. Where God's people pray as Jesus prayed, right? We get the Lord's prayer. He said, pray like this so we can pray like that. They probably prayed the Psalms. They probably prayed other things that Jesus taught them, reflecting on the life and ministry and instruction of Jesus. They probably realized that there were things that they could not accomplish apart from the work of God in their lives. And they probably just desperately said, Father, help us. They probably prayed for God's deliverance and God's power to help them. They knew what the charge was for them to go to the ends of the earth. And that was probably fearful for these guys. These folks were devoted to biblical authority, intentional fellowship, gospel centrality, and dependent prayer. And like I said, these are our values here at Cornerstone Church. Cornerstone Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. And we do so through our values of biblical authority, intentional fellowship, gospel centrality, and dependent prayer. I didn't just make those words up. So why are these our values? Why were these their values? First, they're because they're the early church. They're a young, fledgling church. They needed help, and so they were dependent and devoted to these things. The task before them, as I mentioned, was going to be hard. Go to the end of the earth is a long way away from Israel, and many of these guys, if any of them, probably have never left Israel. Endurance will be needed. Boldness will be necessary. Confidence would be essential. Gifted with the Spirit we saw last week. They were encouraged by Peter to repent and be baptized. They built themselves up through the Scripture. 
God's words of never leaving them or forsaking them would be necessary when times are tough. God's word of salvation, the message they would need to share would be to be transforming their own hearts so that they might go to the ends of the world. God's word would comfort them when they were imprisoned, when things were really hard, and it would encourage them. Gifted with the spirit and the word, they also had the gift of each other and their fellowship. Brothers and sisters in arms encouraged to help one another, as we just sang, to be there for one another. And they're gifted with the gospel to give them a firm foundation and a confidence to the message that they proclaim to the world. Where Jesus gave of his life to save them from their sins. He rose triumphantly from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. Jesus died for them so that they could lay down their lives for others. Remembered in the bread, his blood remembered in the wine. And they were gifted with prayer as well. John Piper said, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom when we're just wanting to have a chit-chat. And you can't know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. They had direct access to central command, and God wants to hear from them. Praying leads us not into temptation when we are tempted. Praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Praying, could you encourage us as things are hard? We don't know what to do. Would you please help us to endure? Why did the church devote themselves to these things? Well, in God's providence, these are the means of grace that would help to not only save them, and those who would hear their message, but help them to endure and to persevere. This young church needed a strong foundation. There's 26 more chapters in the book of Acts, and they're gonna need it. Things will get hard. And friends, we need these common devotions just as much as this young church in Acts did. Our mission is the same as theirs. And as we are a young church, giving ourselves to the mission will be hard. A devotion to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers will be essential for us to endure. And so they practiced and lived with and for each other. Their common devotion led to a common unity. That's our second point. Look at verses 43 to 47, the first little verse of part of that again. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people." And so their common devotion then led them into a common unity, a community. This alternative society becomes a group that shares their resources. Convicted of the teaching in awe, literally the word here in Greek is fear, God was at work in them and they worshipfully surrender everything that they have for the sake of the common good. This generosity is a recurring practice as needs would arise. 
It wasn't a one or two of them. It was all of them as their unity was the emphasis. Look again. Awe was on every soul. Their common unity becomes a common mission, selling their stuff for each other, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes together, receiving food together, praising God together. And this is neither communism nor democracy. It's a church. It isn't about taking everything that the rich people have and then distributing it to everybody, but it's also not having a community vote so that we can decide what color the carpet should be. They were devoted to the Word of God, fellowship, the gospel, and prayer, and we see then how God directs them to live. What we see here is they lay aside their personal preferences for the sake of one another in the church. And this unity is initiated and accomplished by the Spirit who now dwells within them. Pooling of property could only be maintained voluntarily. Acts 5 will confirm this, that giving is out of opportunity, not obligation. But we're going to have to wait till that story in a few weeks. So driven by the Spirit, self-sacrifice becomes what this church is known for as they worship God. Where God said, God's Word says to love one another. And that means even when I don't feel like it. Even when people offend me. Even when they're a little odd. Right? We all have strange aunts and uncles and cousins, right? But they're still family. But their time, their talents, their treasure, it all belongs to God. And so what this church does is they just give back to God what is already His. Men and women voluntarily and readily giving of their stuff for the sake of their fellow believers. And they had unity in their gatherings, both in the temple and in their homes. You see that in verse 46, where they have large and small gatherings. And they're characteristic of this early church. Their large gatherings were in the Jewish place of worship, the temple. They were still good Jews at this point. But their public and large gatherings that included the proclamation of the word goes hand in hand with their private ministry, what they do behind closed doors with smaller groups of people where they gathered in people's homes. And then their large and small gatherings, their devotions become a common unity in the everyday, ordinary walks of life. Why? They saw these elements of unity in fearing God and worshiping Him and sharing, giving, serving, and gathering as opportunities to practice their common devotion together so that they might endure, so that they might press on, so that they might accomplish the task that God had given them. Where they had leaders, but the church maintained together a common unity. And as much as they could, they invested in one another and they all participated. It doesn't say, well, some gave and others serve. It says they all gave and serve. No one had the excuse, well, I don't have the resources, and so I give in my service. Or the other person says, well, I don't have the time, so I serve in my giving. No, they gave themselves to both, of giving and serving. Within the community, there was a spirit of rejoicing and generosity. And those outside of the community, as they observed 
looked upon them favorably as the church enjoyed a collective popular goodwill. Where this church had a common devotion, they practiced it in a common unity. I think the most important question is why? And I think we see that in the end of verse 47, because they had a common dependence. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I think there's two things that we see here. First is the God, God is the one who saves. Their eloquent prayers didn't save them. Their fabulous preaching didn't save them. Their amazing worship music didn't save them. The Lord grew the church. Clearly, non-Christians were with them, right? In these gatherings, those who didn't believe, God gave them the gift to believe that they joined this body of believers. We just saw that last week as 3,000 people joined this young, fledgling church. And as the church shared God's word with each other, they spent time with one another. As they served one another, they reminded the gospel to each other. They prayed together and for each other. And the gospel sacrifice would be modeled and proclaimed in their gatherings. And non-believers would hear. They would see. And they would believe the God of the Bible just like Peter's preaching we heard last week. They would proclaim the gospel to each other, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where they're delivered from the penalty and the power of sin, praising God and having favor with all people. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who would believe the gospel. They added to the number. It's the Lord's prerogative to grow a Christian, but it's also the Lord's prerogative to grow a church. But also, that happens in number and maturity. The term, those who are being saved, is in a passive tense. The idea of constantly happening as we're just sitting passively while God is working within our hearts to transform us. The Lord does this too in growing a Christian to maturity. It's called sanctification. Save from the power and the penalty of sin, its presence, sin's presence, is still impacting our lives this side of eternity. God not only saves the Christian, He sanctifies the Christian, or He helps the Christian to grow in holiness, to be more conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. God is not only the founder, but He's the perfecter of our faith, as the pastor who wrote to the Hebrews would say. This church had a common devotion, biblical authority, intentional fellowship, gospel centrality, and dependent prayer. These are ordinary means of grace as God not only saves sinners, but he sanctifies his children. And they give themselves in faithfulness, trusting God with fruitfulness. Verse 47 gives us the reason why. The result of this life of devotion is unity in worship and praising God. You see that at the first part of 47? And they were praising God and having favor with all people. Why does God save sinners? So that he might be glorified in worship. Paul talks about this in Romans 9. God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order 
to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. God saves sinners so that they might glorify him, which includes you and I in this room who believe the gospel. But the common dependence is also for the unbeliever. Or is not just for the unbeliever, but it's also for the believer who cannot just work out our own salvation on our own. We're being renewed day by day. Paul tells this to the Philippian church. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That word, awe. But here's the source. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We have a role and God has a role. And I really want to be the type of person that depends on God who never fails. So why a common devotion? Endurance. Why a common unity? That we might love one another. Why a common dependence? So that we might glorify God as a church. This is what they did. This is what we should emulate today. Church, what we do as a body is not about us. God's church is to me about Him. The why is great. I think we should ask these questions. But as we wrap up, I think it's appropriate to talk about how we as a church We'll do that here today. So let's ask some how questions. Well, first, our common dependence is the same. Non-Christian, trust God for your salvation. You've heard the gospel even this morning. Repent and believe. And as Peter said last week, be baptized. Join the body of believers that we are here at Cornerstone Church. You can join the family of God by just simply believing the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is just the beginning where we get to walk and be the church with and for each other. And baptism is a great next step in joining the family. But to you, family, to you, church, the question is, will we devote ourselves continually to what we have seen in the text this morning? Will we be devoted to it ourselves? The Bible will, Lord willing, drive everything we do here as a church. We will spend as much time as it, in it as we can together. We will give ourselves to reminding each other of what it says. We will pray together that we consistently follow what it says. The day before us could be harder than what it is today. It could be harder than what the early church had to deal with back then. But it could also be easier. I don't know. But what I do know, the days are evil, as the Bible says. Persecution may come. And God has gifted us with the Spirit, and He's also gifted us with His Scripture that never returns void, that we might follow it. But I think it starts with you personally. I think you should read your Bible yourself on your own where you come together 
or you come to join us as an individual who has been saturating yourself in the scripture, to then come to submit yourself together to the scripture, to encourage one another with the scripture. If you haven't been baptized, I'd ask you the question, why not? As a Christian, if you haven't joined the church, it's a good question of why to ask. I'd love to talk to you about that. Because devotion to the apostles' teaching includes obeying the apostles' teaching. And last week we saw Peter's first command. What should we do? Repent and be baptized. That's the first step. Personally devote yourself to these things so that you can devote themselves with us. The common devotion, though in some sense, doesn't it seem easy? Like the leaders are just going to lead this type of stuff? They'll tell us what we need to do, right? Well, the common unity really means everyone. And so if you aren't committed to this, I think the question you should ask yourself is, why? Are you willing to give yourself to this? This early church gave itself to sharing and giving and serving with generosity. Remember, they did so willingly. If you aren't willing, it might be good to ask yourself the question, why? It might go back to your devotion. Are you really devoted to it? Cultivating habits now is a response to God's generosity towards us will help us maintain these habits when times get tough. Opening our homes is a great way to practice these things. It's a great way to bless others. It's a great way to practice these devotions, to encourage one another, to love one another, to practice this common unity together. That's what the early church did. Maybe they added some more water to the pot or some burgers to the grill or some pasta to the boil. They cut the casserole slices a little bit smaller. Having someone over is one of the easiest ways, church, to grow in this common devotion, unity, and dependence. And it doesn't have to be extravagant. Often when I meet with some of you, I ask, well, what is God showing you in his word? How is the body of Christ helping you grow? What are you struggling to believe about the gospel? What are you praying for? Because that's our values, so I want to have that be part of how I shepherd you as a church. And guess what, church? As you rub shoulders with each other, as you see each other throughout the week, you can ask each other the same questions. And all are called to give and serve for the common good. To not do so is to not love the body of Christ. And so if you don't love or give or serve this church, Maybe you should ask the question, why? I think it depends on our common devotion. We have large gatherings like this every week. We have also lots of small opportunities to gather every week. If getting here was a chore, or you just don't want to ever join, any of the opportunities that we provide, to grow in these things, maybe ask the question, why? Attending everything is a lot, I get it. You don't need to go to all of them. But you should come to some. You can go to all. We do need each other. And to those who are being saved, 
or even those who just maybe believed the first time this morning, my last question for all of us is where do you need to repent? Is it your devotion? Is it in your unity? Is it in your dependence? We love to ask each other questions of why, right? I think we should ask those questions of ourselves. If you won't want to do this, repent, believe, and receive the grace of forgiveness for those sins as well. Repentance isn't just confessions. Well, you know, I've missed coming to church for a while. Repentance is actually changing that and giving yourselves to the things that God calls us to in his word. And friends, we get to do this together, right? We've all struggled with these things from time to time. We are being saved. And don't hear these words as, well, I'm not perfect, so guess this isn't for me. Jesus died for those who aren't perfect. He rose for those who couldn't produce a new life for themselves. Life will have its ups and downs. And in light of that, we can put forth faithfulness to the things that this early church modeled for us. And we just trust God for the fruitfulness. So why did the early church model this for us? I think so we can model these principles ourselves today. The early church may look different than us, and it probably should. It was 2,000 years ago, okay? Each church, even in our area, will look different because you know what? There's different people in them. But the devotions and the unity that will look different by church to church has the same source of dependence. It's on God. We all worship the same God who believe the gospel. Cornerstone. Let's be a church that depends on God. And let's ask him now to help us. Father, we thank you for this word of encouragement. God, we thank you for the brothers and sisters who gather even in this church this morning. For those who call this church their home, God, we pray that you would lead and guide us. Would you help us to be more devoted to the things that you call us to in your word? Would you help us to be more unified as a body of believers? Would you help us to be more dependent on you for everything? God, this is not easy, but it's good. And oftentimes we fail to believe that. And so would you transform our hearts, God? Would you, would you make this church, would you make Cornerstone Church a church that out of the abundance of grace that we receive desires and acts upon and lives an abundantly gracious life towards one another and to the world around us? Father, we thank you for forgiving us for our sins. God, would you help us to live lives of repentance, that we would put to death that which is earthly in us and set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. God, would you help us to live lives that emulate what this early church did for the sake of your glory 
In the sake of our joy, as we love one another, but most importantly, love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we thank you and praise you. And we want to lift up our voice again to sing a, of your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.